Hello there. Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. I'm your host, Sarah Bueno, and I am a psychotherapist in Chicago. So welcome. Thanks for joining us. So, okay, today's episode is going to get very political. And obviously, in the the past, I guess, six months or so, our episodes may have felt increasingly political to some. I actually had made the decision that I feel like anti-racism work is not political, that when we put it in the political realm, that actually means that we can't talk about it in psychological circles and other places where we need to be polite. And I've decided that that's bullshit. That's part of white supremacy, and I'm not doing that shit. So we are getting political today because I am scared. I am scared for the future of our democracy. And I specifically wanted to invite uh, Jen Contarino on the program today because A, she's a friend of mine, and B, she has expertise in the realm of Donald Trump. So I guess I just want to say out loud for listeners, you know, no one no one has ever complained about the, the, <laughs> the liberal bend of this podcast, but I just wanted to put it on out there in the beginning that if you are a fan of Donald Trump, you will not enjoy this episode. But I am putting this out here specifically right now at the beginning of October because the election is about a month away. And I saw a statistic the other day that said that I don't remember how. So essentially, the in 2016, the presidential election, the vote was split nearly 50-50 for Democrats and Republicans. But then there were 108 million people that just didn't vote. And that's not going to work <laughs> this time around. So I wanted to put this episode out now and and just implore implore you to vote. I am not going to tell you who to vote for, but if you're listening to this podcast, you know who I want you to vote for. Anyway, but if you do not know whether you're registered to vote, you can go to a trillion different places. A couple of them that I've just Googled right now are voteamerica.com, rockthevote.org, voterparticipation.org, and vote.org. So you can register to vote check your registration status. The voting process sounds like it's really different in every state. And because we are in the midst of the COVID pandemic, it might not be straightforward. I know that a lot of places are doing mail-in voting. Some places are only doing in-person. I, in Illinois, got my mail-in vote, but I'm actually going to be dropping it into a secure drop box in person just to make sure that it goes through the mail. So, I just want to say that to everyone. And Jen will be mentioning a couple different resources that we'll be sharing in the show notes. But please go vote. Please, please, please go vote because literally the future of our country depends on it. So thank you so much. Now, let me introduce you to today's guest. Jennifer Contarino, she, her, hers, is the founder and president of Mindful Psychology Associates and has been an Illinois licensed clinical psychologist for 16 years. She received her doctorate of psychology degree in clinical psychology from the Chicago School of Professional Psychology in 2003. In 2017, she authored a chapter for the New York Times bestselling book, The Dangerous Case of Donald Trump, 27 Mental Health Experts Assess a President. Her contribution entitled Trump Anxiety Disorder has led to interviews, writing, and speaking engagements related to anxiety and fear amidst the existing sociopolitical climate. So I hope you really enjoyed this conversation with Jennifer. And honestly, I hope that this encourages you to vote one way or the other. 
I haven't received any hate mail yet, but I'm still open to it. So if you want to fight about it, I'm into that too. But at any rate, please enjoy my interview with Jennifer Contarino. Hello, Jennifer. How are you? I'm good, Sarah. How are you? I'm pretty good, I think. I just had therapy before this, so that's always good. Oh, that is good. That's a good way to, <laughs> to come into the session. <laughs> right, right. Especially the heavy topic that we're going to be uh, discussing today. And I'm sure I'll tell listeners when I record the intro for this, but this episode is going to be a little bit different because normally it's really, you know, internally focused about the the guest. And not that I don't want to hear about you in your life, but <laughs> but we're really here to talk about something a little bit more specific and honestly in service of democracy today. So mm -hmm. anyway, wh why don't you introduce yourself first and tell people who you are and what you do? So my name is Dr. Jennifer Contarino. I am a licensed clinical psychologist and I own a group practice in Evanston, Illinois called Mindful Psychology Associates. I've been a psychologist since 2004 and primarily focusing in private practice, working with young adults, mood disorders, eating disorders, stress. And the past three years, I've also taken a um, interest and an expertise in sociopolitical stress. And more specifically, I was one of the 27 authors of the 2017 New York Times bestselling book, The Dangerous Case of Donald Trump, 27 Mental Health Experts Assess a President. I wrote the Trump Anxiety Disorder chapter. And since that time, I've been doing a lot of writing and speaking and getting the word out and based in the danger of what's going on and what we're seeing very, you know, specifically right now in this moment in time. And um, using my professional background just to talk more about some of the, the issues and the themes that we know from mental health professionals and try and just educate the community and our country about the danger level. Yeah, absolutely. And just a little personal note for listeners, Jennifer and I are in a little cohort of other group practice owners that we like to call the badass practice owners group. So yeah. <laughs> so as soon as I was thinking about, yeah, I, well, I actually read uh, Mary Trump's book and that's when I reached mm -hmm. out to you and I was like, did you read it? Can we talk about it? And I, I yes. want to talk about it with you for listeners because there was so much in that book that was really interesting and I'm digressing. Let's just, let's just fucking get into it. I yeah, didn't mention you can cuss here too. <laughs> if, if, if you want to, you can say whatever oh, fuck you want. I, that's great. I'll do it. <laughs> I guess let's start inward and then move outward. What drew you to writing that piece and contributing to mm -hmm. the book? Well, that's a great question. I think right before he got the nomination, you know, along with the rest of the country, it was like, this isn't really happening. This is something that he just wants to be able to say who the nomination, you know, goes to. Like, we've just in a lot of denial. And then when it happened, it was like, oh my God something has to be done. So I started, you know, there were some publications, Dan McAdams, who's a psychologist at Northwestern, published a piece around Donald Trump's mental health. And it got brewing in terms of in the media and a little bit, but I was like desperately searching for some colleagues who were also aligned with this. And so I found the group that was started by Dr. Bandy Lee, who is the editor of the book. And she had a conference at Yale in, I think it was early 2016, that talked hmm. about this issue. And she's wow. a forensic psychiatrist and has a lot of, you know, experience working with in prisons and with mm. people who are quite dangerous in their own right. And she knew the seriousness of if Donald Trump was to be elected, what might happen. So I got involved in that group. And then that conference led to the 
publishing of the book. And it was a simple thing. She put this call to authors to for chapters to be written. I had complete imposter syndrome because some of the <laughs> people in the book were like Phil Zimbardo, who is the one of one of the most famous psychologists. He was the Stanford Prison Study psychologist, mm. Gail Sheehy, who recently unfortunately passed away. She wrote a chapter. So I was pretty intimidated, but I just said, you know what? It's time just to speak out. And I knew I wanted to do something that was a little bit more clinically related based in what I was seeing on a regular basis with myself and my personal connections, but also clinically with my clients and how much people were really struggling to make sense of all this. So this happened early 2017, so after he was inaugurated and everything was was starting. And the book came out in October of that year, it was fast-tracked, and it was very well-received and had a lot of media attention. And we met with some Democratic members of Congress and whatnot, but it didn't change a lot, you know, and that was the tough part. But I completely, I'm happy that I was able to be part of this cause and just put some attention and my voice in the mix of all that. Yeah. And were there any personal fears that were coming up for you in terms of his election and, and what could happen that were, were driving that? Yeah, definitely. You know, I think as a woman, I'm a white woman, but as a woman um, in America and a business owner, there was fears of what would happen with reproductive rights and right. women's rights. And I also think as therapists, like we don't, we work with a lot of people who aren't narcissistic or sociopathic. We work with their loved ones. We work with, you know, their coworkers and their spouses and their kids and all that. So I knew the damage that could be done with his personality style and thought this is going to be a very, very tough and psychologically damaging and traumatic four years and bracing myself and for that. it has been. <laughs> I mean, you know, right. everyone who was like devastated on election night in 2016, it wasn't because we're like, oh, we're, we lost. And I've always been a Democrat. But I think there was a real deep-seated understanding like this is going to be a disaster. And I think the personal, you know, trauma was around that. And just wanting to be somebody who you know, is committed to social justice issues, is committed to to helping people, is also committed to like safety. I mean, we need safety. And we know now what the impact is of having a leader that does not promote safety, that promotes division. Right. And violence. And violence and trauma and has contributed directly to deaths. Right. Right. It, it's funny because I was thinking as you were talking, like, you know, you were like, oh, I'm a Democrat. Like, he's not a politician. So this it, it's not political in that way because he doesn't even belong in this arena. And that's the part that I think is so dangerous and my fear, too, not just for what's happening right now, but for the future. If we as a country move to electing celebrities instead of people who actually are qualified for the job, we're going to continue yeah. to fuck ourselves in the ass. Yeah. And, you know, he's a showman and he is mm -hmm. a huckster and a liar and a con man and all that. And a lot of Americans, you know, when he was elected said, well, we'll give him a chance to be presidential. And most of us <laughs> right. were like, there's no way. Like, this right. isn't, mm -hmm. Yeah, this isn't going to switch. You know, there's not going to be a switch that's turned that automatically when he was inaugurated that he, he would change his ways. We knew that deep down, most of us. And yeah, absolutely. Mm hmm. 
I do want to say, too, before we get too much further into what is going on with him and and all of that sort of stuff is Mm -hmm. we are told as therapists that we shouldn't be diagnosing people that we are not treating. Mm -hmm. And yet when it comes to public safety, I'm imagining that's a little bit different. So I'm just curious how how you reconcile that for yourself and how you frame that in the light of we are going to be talking about his disorder and he's never been on our couch before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you you may be indirectly or directly referencing, which is called the Goldwater Rule, which was developed in the 1960s. Barry Goldwater was a, a presidential candidate, and apparently some mental health professionals came out with some piece uh, written about him that was psychoanalytic in nature and based in hypothesizing and under, trying to understand some of his internal world. And the American Psychiatric came out as like, that's not okay. We're not allowing our members to do that because of just what you said, that we don't diagnose people that are not, we don't directly treat and work with. So for me, a couple of thoughts. One, like, I don't care about the diagnosis per se. I think what we're, you know, in our group has focused on is the dangerousness. Like the diagnosis is, is irrelevant, right? So there's that part of it. And then second part, I just should own that, you know, I'm a group practice owner. I don't work for somebody or for an organization or company that could censor me or have some problems with what I with what I say. So I, I felt like that is a privilege that I should use to be able to use my voice in this way. And then I think this the other thing is, yes, it's a public health. It's a public dangerous situation. And so we're not focusing on the specifics of the diagnosis. I mean, Mary Trump certainly will because she had firsthand impact on that. But I think the larger issues are more about what this could lead to and has led to in our country. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, without necessarily giving him a diagnosis then, like what is your conceptualization mm-hmm. of what is going on with him? Yeah. I mean, I really, I read Dr. Mary Trump's book as soon as it came out and I certainly concur with everything she said. I think she clearly has this really interesting perspective being both a clinical psychologist as well as having grown up around him. Certainly, I think antisocial personality disorder, aka sociopathy fits for him because of the chronic lying, the disregard for social norms, the manipulation of people as like transactions and what you'll get from somebody rather than being able to have a human connection and a lack of empathy and conscious. I mean, that fits, I think, in terms of also what we know about criminals and people who are, you know, in prison, that kind of diagnosis fits. And also with like white collar, you know, crime in terms of people who are doing things like insider trading and other unscrupulous things. So like if he was just a businessman in New York, like he was for many years, mm-hmm. you know, so be it, right? right. Uh, there's lots of people who are in business who are unethical, who lie, who cheat, all those types of things. But the fact that he's the president of the United States of America mm-hmm. changes everything. Yeah. So this will be interesting to get into because I actually don't think he's a sociopath. The way that I'm framing it is that in my understanding, sociopaths know the difference between right and wrong and essentially somehow delight in the fact that they're doing wrong. My conceptualization, and especially after reading the book, was that he thinks this is confabulation. He thinks that he's mm-hmm. telling the truth. He believes everything. And I I put that in the category of more narcissism because a narcissist has to convince themselves of their mm-hmm. rightness and live in that space. Yeah. So I'm just curious your thoughts on that. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, I think, you know, what Mary Trump pointed out as well is like, he's complicated. You know, there's certainly, 
a case for antisocial personality disorder, mm-hmm. narcissistic personality disorder, probably some learning disorder issues because yeah, 100%. if you look at you know times when he was interviewed earlier in life, like he was more coherent and more able to mm-hmm. have some articulation. So regardless of the diagnostic picture, it is a right. picture of dangerousness. Right, right. I guess too, I don't, I almost think it's worse because the way that I've been conceptualizing him is that everything that he says and does is almost almost an accident, except that I think his handlers, I think he's an idiot. Mm-hmm. And the book actually confirmed that for me yeah. too, that, that he doesn't know what he's doing and other the people around him know how to get him to do the thing that they want him mm-hmm. to do in order to service their agenda. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he, from an early age, like it was pretty clear he was not that, that gifted yeah. or that bright. So, you know, his family groomed him as the, golden child of the golden son mm-hmm. to uh, be walking in his father's footsteps, but he really didn't have much talent or giftedness to be able to do that, which I think contributes to his, you know, defensiveness and his inability right. to take any feedback, take any criticism, say, I'm sorry, all those human skills that, you know, we, we miss in terms of how gifted Obama was with those skills. So mm-hmm. yeah, I can definitely agree with that. Well, and it sounded like, so in reading the book, it sounds like, so his father, Fred Trump, wanted mm-hmm. Freddie, the oldest son, which is Mary Trump's father, wanted yes. him to to be his successor. And it sounded like he really wanted to, what's the word I'm looking for, have some autonomy and be his own person and, mm-hmm. you know, be a pilot and these sort of things. And that that was an insult, essentially, to Fred. And then he took... Mm-hmm. Donald's, you know, desire for approval from him mm-hmm. and manipulated that to get him to step into this role and then would praise him for the negative behavior that we're now seeing as president. So not only can he not take feedback, like the fact that he couldn't take feedback was one of the things that I think Fred liked because he would just yes. let everything roll off his back, right? Mm-hmm. And in the book too, it sounded like Donald had some things that Fred didn't have. And so it was all in service. Like in NARM, we talk a lot about narcissists only being able to see other people as objects, right? Like you said that before in terms of antisocial. And so Donald literally just being an object to then further like Fred's own narcissistic fantasies. Yes. Yes. Think about the narcissistic parent they see their children as extensions of themselves only, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. Not as like separate humans with their own needs and their own wants and desires and gifts and all that. So I think you're right when Freddie said, no, I'm not, you know, I don't want to go into the Trump business. I want to be a pilot. That was a huge narcissistic injury for Fred Trump. He was like that, you know, that was not acceptable. And that part of the story is actually really tragic. How he... Freddie Trump um, struggled mm-hmm. in life and developed alcoholism and had all sorts of things from that. So yes, I think, you know, Donald was the one, okay, you know, Freddie's not interested in going with the family business. We're seeing Donald, we're seeing that he could shape him. And Donald had some kind of disturbing qualities from a young age, uh, you know, right. like bullying people and mm-hmm. doing some rather unsavory qualities. And I think Fred saw that and said, you know what, I could work with that. Right. Right. And yes. And again, they were like those skills were cultivated. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you from, you know, being a trauma therapist, I I had a moment where when I was reading the book and I thought, 
if he was just this New York businessman, I would have a lot of empathy for right. what he experienced as a child. I mean, he was, Donald was two years old. His mom became deathly ill. They didn't think she was going to survive. She survived and apparently was had chronic health issues and was very like emotionally absent um, yeah. because of her own prone issues. It sounds like some untreated psychiatric issues mm-hmm. as well. And then Fred Trump was the denial positive thinker. He was really into the like power, mm-hmm. power of positive thinking. And he just continued to work for 70 hours a week, knowing these four kids were just parenting themselves. And so a two-year-old needing so many like attunements and soothing and comforting and warmth and love and all that, I just got cut off at that point. So, you know, Mary talks about in the book, developmentally feeling like Donald is still that three-year-old now in terms of his psychological abilities and functioning. And that that fits. Right. Especially with the tantrums and the mm-hmm. language that he uses, really. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So th- it's funny that you bring up empathy because that was something that I was going to ask you about, right? I feel like as therapists, it's our job essentially to assume empathy, right? And then like find mm-hmm. the reasons for it. And this is so complicated because I feel like America is in an abusive relationship right now. And obviously he's the perpetrator. Absolutely. And so mm-hmm. as the recipient of that abuse, if I empathize with him right now, I'm continuing to put myself in danger. Yes. Right. Absolutely. So I'm curious the way that you you frame it. Yeah. I've worked with clients who have said exactly that. We're as a country in this relationship with an abusive parent. Think about like, Okay. So, I mean, generally the president is sort of the parent of the country, right? Mm -hmm, And they, mm -hmm. all of the trickle down from that, whether that's warmth and understanding of science and listening to experts and being humble and Mm -hmm. all those qualities or being divisive and separating us into our political parties, not having, you know, any understanding or even pretending to want to understand people and their, their needs. That has a huge impact. And I think coming back to what we talked about earlier with the safety, that is the safety that we're not feeling right now because we have this person in charge that continues to make really dangerous, outlandish claims and behaves in a way that's completely unpredictable. And we're set, you know, feeling really scared, like these, you know, scared children that are in the homes. I mean, you think about like, as therapists, if we have clients who are in actively in an abusive relationship, let's say emotionally abusive relationship and choosing to stay for whatever reason, right? What can we do? We can like build them up. We can offer support. We can offer education and understanding and perspective taking and help them, you know, hopefully get out of that relationship. But there's not a lot of work we can do beyond that Mm -hmm. until they've chosen to to leave. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think that's the helpless feeling that we're all feeling right now is, okay, we can cope, we can stay in the moment, we can, you know, work on the cause, we can do all sorts of things to to help ourselves, but it's limited. Mm -hmm. It's limited. And I like the fact that you said an abusive parent, because that actually takes, it, it takes a lot of the agency out of it. And I think that is what we're experiencing right now, because those of us who didn't vote for him, we thought we did our part. We thought, mm-hmm. you know, we thought we had this agency and then it felt like it was ripped out from under us. And now like where yep. we are in this moment, I mean, we've tried impeachment. There's all sorts yes. of things that, that people have tried and it's not worked. So it feels more mm-hmm. like we are the abused child because we don't mm-hmm. have the power 
And right. I'm just, I mean, part of the reason I'm doing this episode is because I, I want to appeal to anybody who thinks that their vote isn't going to count or it's not important mm. to go out and vote. I just, I really, yes. really want to encourage that because I think, you know, not only Trump aside, I think this is a wake up call for our country in terms of how do we mm -hmm. want our, how do we want our democracy to really work? How do we want to show up for that? How do we get engaged and how do we how do we see ourselves in the political spectrum in a way that supports our mental health and supports mm -hmm. care and concern for those around us? There's so many examples, right? I mean, look at systemic racism, structural issues. Like we can support individuals, but if we don't look at those bigger systems that are problematic, we can only do so much, right? Mm -hmm. And that's so frustrating and helpless feeling. And I also, I totally, I mean... Absolutely. We have tried the Mueller report. We have mm -hmm. impeached him through the house. Like we've done so many things to try to, and our, unfortunately our checks and our balances have failed and that's problematic in itself. And I, right. I, truly, I truly believe that this might be the last chance we have at saving our democracy. Literally. I went to the Holocaust museum in Skokie on Sunday. We're and, going this weekend. Oh, <laughs> mm-hmm. The RBG exhibit is awesome. Yep. You'll love it. But mm -hmm. also, have you been there before? No. Okay. Take some time and go through the main exhibit. My partner is Jewish and he's like, you've never been here before. Let's just mm. go through. And I was sort of resistant because it was heavy and it is heavy. But it is also quite concerning to see the parallels of Nazi Germany and America in 2020. And so I strongly believe that we, every single person you know, who has a vote <laughs> needs to exercise our constitutional right and get out there and vote because that's going to be immensely important. Mm -hmm. Right, right. And, and I guess too, also to just name the fact that our checks and balances have failed is terrifying. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. My fervent wish and hope is that Biden wins the election and that we have an opportunity in 2021 to make some real changes and to start thinking more about the people in this country and how to support them and offer respect and also like real concrete ways of showing that. And that's going to take time. It's not going to happen overnight, but it's so vital that we can see this as an opportunity because I think before, you know, before any major change happens, like there is violence, there is revolt. There is revolution. It's not something that you look back in history and you kind of have a paragraph about a period of time, but I think living through it is pretty, pretty awful. And I think that's what we're sitting with right now. The awfulness of the unknown and the uncertainty of seeing so many things that are just very hit us on a moral level of being not right. And seeing that there's a good majority of our people in our country that support, still support him and think he's doing this great job. Mm -hmm. Well, and I just want to note too, because on, on the podcast, we tend to look at things from a spiritual perspective. And when you talk of revolution and there can't be change until there's revolt and revolution, you know, from a spiritual perspective, we can't have rebirth until there's death. And that unfortunately is literally what's happening right now in so many ways. And literally mm -hmm. things, systems and things are being burnt to the ground. Mm -hmm. And my hope is, because I think we... Democrats, when we elected Obama, we just patted ourselves on the back. Like, look what we did. We elected a black yes. man. How great we are in this post-racial society. And 
we were blind to the the simmering rage happening underneath that now has come to a head. So I'm just hopeful that we hold Biden's feet to the fire. And that motherfucker is going to he's going to have the hardest job, I think, of anyone if he gets into this presidency, yes. because he's going to have to prove himself to the people who didn't vote for him. And he's going to mm -hmm. have to do the shit that we want, the people who did vote him in yes. and make a lot of fucking changes. Well, and I'm, I'm heartened that to know, like, he's establishing this team of, of mm -hmm. Ray Sanders and Liz Warren and other, like, really smart people, because he's going to need all of them backing and trying to figure out how right. to navigate this mess. And, okay, let's say you're hiking, you know, you're in the woods, and there's a boulder, and you, like, unearth the boulder, and it's, like, all the nasty, creepy, crawly, you know, <laughs> bugs and all sorts of stuff, right? They come mm -hmm. out, and they're right there. And that's what I feel like Obama, we had the boulder down. Yeah. It was still all there. And right. now with Trump, it's ripped it open. It's yeah. right here. We Such a great analogy. And we can't deny it. And, you know, I think one thing back to why I wanted to come out with my voice and try to make, you know, my words known and support of this cause was like, we can't be silent anymore. Mm -mm. Silence is complicit. It's killing people. But also it is literally killing people. So you will see at the Holocaust Museum, there is a quote by Eli Wiesel, one of my favorite quotes I wrote down. I wanted to talk about it or at least mention it was, we must always take sides. Neutrality helps the oppressor, never the victim. Silence encourages the tormentor, never the tormented. And so mm -hmm. speaking our truth and speaking about how not okay and not normal all of this is, is so powerful. And that's going to help people see this as the reality and see the, the skewed reality and be able to help them, I hope, propel and understand that for themselves, right? We can't just be nice. Like we, Democrats, we want to be nice. We want to be working with Republicans. We want to be supportive and compromising and all that. We can't do that right now. Right, right. Well, I joined this uh, class called Decolonizing Therapy for Black Folks. And the woman who runs that class, Shauna Marie Brown, she said today, there's a difference between being polite and being kind. And mm -hmm. we, especially in the mental health community, have, we've been polite, right? We yes. have thought we're not supposed to be political. We're not supposed to let our clients, A, know who we are, B, mm -hmm. let them know our political stance. And that when we put, I think what, because what I've determined in terms of like racism is like, if we keep it political and I'm not supposed to talk about politics, then I'm not allowed to talk about it. That's why for me, like racism is taken out of the political arena. And I'm like, I'm just mm -hmm. fucking talking about it. This is a reckoning. There's so many reckonings right now for our democracy, for our environmental causes, for the psychological industries and the medical industry, like all everything mm -hmm. is being reckoned. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, this, this isn't politics. This is human rights. This is yes, yes. how do we, as a society, want to function? Do we right. want to bow down to corporations and wealth right. and power? And do we want to really look at how we can try to put some policies in place that support humans that right. are suffering? Right. Humans that, you know, need help. And how do we see that as more psychologically safe and beneficial to everybody. Right, right. And I'm just curious, like, how things are going to shift. Because mm -hmm. I, 
especially in terms of we being therapists right now, our biggest concern, I remember having this talk with the badass group mm -hmm. is will insurance continue to cover telehealth? Cause oh we're in gosh. COVID right now. Yes. Right. And so th <laughs> yes. that's a really very concrete, specific thing that we can show how the insurance companies control access to care because yes. Maybe they'll they'll stop covering phone at some point. And then the people who don't have internet access or the people mm -hmm. who are in domestic violence relationships and have to walk and talk their therapy are going to be yeah. like kicked out of this, right? That's another thing I, I really want people to hear when we talk about these issues is that this is about access. Who has the luxury? Who has the privilege to get these things? Yeah, I remember we were all just terrified as business owners. We're like, right. what is going to happen? What are, what are we going to do with our clients? Are we mm -hmm. supposed to like completely pro bono work because they need our continued help. And how do we manage this? And, you know, there was so much pushback in the past around telehealth and, mm -hmm. you know, it's been so effective mm -hmm. for some people. It's been amazingly yes. uh, helpful. And some of my clients, like long-term clients are like, I can't believe this. Like she's, you know, I have people who are really scheduled and busy and she's like, I don't have to like drive to your office. And I enjoy just being, you know, in my home or my office and right. having that comfort and that privacy is really works for me. And mm -hmm. so I think there will be some right parts of figuring out, like maybe the telehealth question might've been more like 10 years down the road. And now we're, it's right now. It's now. <laughs> we yeah. are forced we're in it. It is happening. Mm -hmm. It is not, not happening. And right. we're forced to figure out and seeing like, wow, it's working. I do like to come back to thinking a little bit more about some lessons and some hope from the Trump presidency, the mobilization of women in politics. I mm -hmm. mean, you're right. We were so complacent under Obama. We were like, Obama is the parent everyone wants to have. That's cool and thoughtful and takes care of us and supportive and all that. So women have been mobilized in politics for like mm -hmm. numbers that have been unheard of until now. And, you know, we now, know what happens when our democratic process does not work. And we know very clearly about how to really look at qualifications and experience and, you know, not somebody who is just completely selling something. I mean, he's, he was trying to sell himself right. and the presidency. Himself. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. He is the brand. Right. Right. And we, some of us didn't know that. Some of us didn't realize that. And I, and I think there has been some brainwashing and some other sophisticated techniques that have been used. And for any of your listeners out there who supported him and are questioning that, I want to say, I think we have a right and a responsibility to talk with you with kindness and support you and bring you into an understanding. And I'm personally dedicated to that as well. I think we, you know, it's not about red versus blue. It's not about Republican versus Democratic. It really is about American ideals and democracy and can we come back to that sense of being united you know i think with covid i think one of the most heartbreaking things was we really thought this is something that's impacting all of us can we unite around this and use the science and the experts to help that clearly we did not clearly there's going to be major books and all sorts of things around how massive of a failure the covid crisis was in our country mm -hmm. Yeah. And that was due to leadership that was not concerned about the bigger picture and everybody that was impacted. It was really icky and, and really disturbing to see that play out. 
Really disturbing. And and I just wanted to note too, because you said, come back to our democracy and our roots. And I, I know you'll agree with this sentiment, but essentially, I think what's being exposed right now is how actually the democracy was set up to privilege white men, right? <laughs> and like, a lot of that is coming un- unraveled. Yeah. And so, I mean shit, the founding fathers didn't know what the fuck they were doing. They were just like, you know, flying on the seat of their coat straight, whatever that phrase is, whatever, flying by the seat of their Mm -hmm. pants trying to figure this shit out. So good job. You you did as much as you could. But I think now as the country has grown and has aged, right, we were a little baby country back then. And now we're what, a teenage country. And so we're trying to figure out who it is that we are. And it's changed over time. Our needs have changed. And- We, I think we're going to have to change what democracy is because mm-hmm. the democracy that, that I think some people are like, because people red and blue are using the word democracy and meaning two different things. We have to get clear on what it actually is. Yeah, I think, you know, when I use that word, I'm, I'm thinking more of the ideals of right. a democratic society. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I agree, you know, think about like, we're business owners. And what mm-hmm. we talk about in our group is how much we've learned and grown from when we first started mm-hmm. off. Right. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, how much we yes. have to develop and change and be you know, humbling, you know, learning experience and learning through failures. And if we don't do that, we're stagnant and stuck and not growing. And so our nation has not grown. Right. And yeah, like being able to match this new, what does democracy mean? And how do we make it inclusive and not just talk, but actually make structures and things in place where we're working towards knocking down some of those things that that don't work and our country was formed by slave owners and our country Mm -hmm. was formed the people that you know were sort of reactive and getting away from britain's rule but you know we the people need to figure out ways to keep our members of congress hold them accountable to, to figuring that out right and it's you know it's very messy now with all the money and the power and the Mm-hmm. interests and different things that are that are coloring this right now right right well we're coming to the end of the hour and i know you are just as busy as i am so i wanted to before we wrap up here if you have specific organizations that that you really believe in or any tips for people if they want to take action because right now is the time to do it yes absolutely you know i would say if you are progressive american we need to act. There's postcards to swing states, there's Indivisible, there's other local organizations needing and wanting volunteers. There's actually from the Democratic, the DNC, being able to call people, text people, you know, there's a lot of different ways to get involved. And I do think we can take that indignant feeling and propel that with action. And that is, that's helpful. Mm-hmm. In terms of the dangerous case of Donald Trump is a book that's still available it is a hard read. I'm mm-hmm. not going to lie about that. There's also an offshoot organization called the World Mental Health Coalition mm. that was uh, started by Dr. Bandy Lee to talk more about these issues and get people activated and hopefully doing some things with Congress as well. So I think those are kind of the two political things I'm thinking about. I think what I've told my clients and I'm reminding myself is until the election, and I think afterwards, because I don't think, unfortunately, we will probably know we will be the next president for quite some time. Um, Until that time, we kind of need to like take a loop, tie it, hang on to it and ground ourselves. And Mm -hmm. now it is going to be a very difficult couple months. Acknowledge that, 
it is what it is. You know, it's like, we wish we, we didn't have to walk through it. Right. We wish we could just like press the fast forward button and be in, I don't know, March or April of next year and know when will COVID be go away? Who will be your next president? Uh, what will happen to our racial injustice things? Like all that, you know, we don't, we can't do that. We have to figure out a way to continue functioning and tolerate all this uncertainty and all this anxiety. And it's not easy. Right. So I just want to say that really clearly. I don't think, I would say most people who are progressive or who are concerned about what's happening and seeing it directly are not doing well, that our mental health right. collectively are suffering. And so, yeah, doing things like being able to propel into actions, but also continuing to stay in the moment, you know, immerse yourself in something that you enjoy or love, even if you feel like it's a distraction temporarily. So what? It's good. It's good to still have things that that we that bring us joy and people in our lives that we can connect with. But we need some release so we don't have that frustration that just kind of eats away at us. So propelling that through election activities or exercise or other ways to get our voices voices heard. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And if people want to connect with you, where can they find you? Ah, so yes, they can find me on Twitter. Uh, it's my old name at Jennifer Panning. My website, my professional website is evanstonpsychologist.com. We are on Instagram at Mindful Psychology Evanston. We're also on Facebook, Mindful Psychology Associates in Evanston. So yes, I'd be happy to chat with anybody. And obviously therapy is so helpful right now for anybody out there who is just needing support. And I encourage people, you know what, you can ask a potential therapist about their political orientation right now. Mm-hmm. You know, people can say, hey, this is something I'm really personally struggling with. Are you aligned <laughs> with me? And are you willing and able to sit with me through that? I've had a couple of people, clients seek me out because of my participation in the book. And I'm like, absolutely. It's really important, I think, to know that the people that we get support from are going to be able to be in it with us. Right. Yeah. Thank you so much. I'm, I, I knew you. this conversation would be awesome. And I'm just really appreciative of you. Yeah. Yes. Thank you so much. I'm so glad you asked me to do this. It's always great to talk to you. I'm a good excuse to talk with you for an hour and everyone just hang in there. Hang in there, folks. Thanks so much to Jennifer for joining me today. And thanks as always to Andrea Clunder and the Creative Imposter Studios for editing, to Liam O'Donnell for the album art, and to Ben Mueller for our theme music. To find more information about Jennifer or the dangerous case of Donald Trump, please go to www.headhearttherapy.com podcast. And don't forget to vote. Thank you. Until next time. Bye-bye.